guys, it's Katie. Before we get into the story of the scandalous Agnes Sorrell, I just wanted to give you a heads up that the audio on this episode is a little less than perfect. We had the hardest time getting this episode together. We had two different recording platforms fail us. We had audio equipment fail us. We had a freak of nature snowstorm in Texas that left us both without power for a few days. I was literally like, does the ghost of Agnes Sorrell not want us telling her story or something? But then we realized Mercury is in retrograde, so obviously that's it. We were like, man, we just need to get this story out there. Thanks so much for tuning in, and thank you for all the support you guys have been giving us. Oh, yeah, and um, if you're new to the show, uh, we curse a little bit. So if you're not comfortable with strong language, this might not be the show for you. Cheers, bitches. Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. Nathan. Katie, Katie, Katie. Oh my gosh. I am so excited for this episode. Are you excited? I know, me too. We, I mean, I have read about this bitch since we did our Catherine de Medici episode, and I've been wanting to do her for a hot minute. Yes! We just put on social media, we were like, one word, one singular word for a hint, boob. And every single person got it right. One (laughs) singular sensation, every little boob she takes. (laughs) Yeah! That was was actually perfect, Nathan. That was fantastic. (laughs) So obviously, we are talking about Agnes Sorrell. Um, some people call her Anya uh, or Agnes, and I'm not going to do that because I would sound like a dick. So I'm going to call her Agnes Sorrel. What are you going to call her, Nathan? I'm going to call her Boob. It works. It works. That's <laughs> what she's famous for. So who was she? She was the scandalous chief mistress of Charles VII of France. And she was the first official mistress, the first official mistress at the court of France. Scandal! So she's a side, she's a side hustle. Yes, queen. Before we get started, let's do our Patreon shout outs. Shout out to Christina, Caitlin, Elise, Jessica, Maddie, and Alexandra. Nathan. Tell us about this delicious cocktail. So for today's, if you haven't been following us on Booze Clues uh, on our Patreon, we have the Poppycock cocktail. Because Mm -hmm. I read that she used um, Poppy, the flower, to make her lipstick. So that's why I just oh, got that. real fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, what's in this is one part of a gin based drink, which is like pins, basically mm-hmm. one part pomegranate juice, half a part of citrus vodka, which I like deep Eddie's grapefruit. I even yes. hate grapefruit and it's delicious. Uh, oh. Then you splash it with deep Eddie's. If you would like to sponsor us, we will happily take that sponsorship. Might drop. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> and you add a splash of lemon lime soda and then a little bit of a lemon to garnish. I actually like rimmed it with actual poppy seeds. I so you did a rim job? Yes, with but it's drink responsibly with this one because it's good nice yeah i like it it's not um i didn't think i was gonna like it because i don't like gin but it it it, it masks the taste which is always dangerous yeah <laughs> alcohol in there you don't, you don't like and you can't taste it that yeah. might be a problem <laughs> yeah but the, I, th I feel like the citrus the citrus vodka definitely kind of hides that yeah that weird christmas flavor that gin has i don't know that is the perfect way to describe it it is a weird christmas flavor <laughs> it tastes yeah. like a pine tree anyway let's talk about agnes so she was born probably around 1422 <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't this, is our, this is our I don't know dance for Agnes Sorrell. I don't know. She's in France. <laughs> and she's doing the I don't know dance. Yeah. <laughs> we don't. There's a lot of things for the, like the first 20 years of Agnes's life, as we'll get to, it's just a lot of guesswork. We just don't. There's so much we don't know. So she was probably born in terrain which is modern day france and for the life of me and all the digging that i did all i could really find out about like her early years is that her parents were like lower nobility and at the at a young age whatever young age means for the 1400s she was sent to work at the household of Isabella, the Duchess of Lorraine. And that is all we know that is 100% confirmed until she turns 20. Wow. So <laughs> it is fucking frustrating. But we're, we are going to make some educated guesses along the way. So join us on this journey, won't you? So we've discussed the players in the Hundred Years Wars before this episode, and so they're going to come up again. Uh, for instance, Aggie is born uh, when Charles VII becomes king, and Charles VII was a player in is the Isabella Bavaria episode. Um, mm. Her son, who was a major pain in the ass, uh, and she decided to like <laughs> hop, skip, and a jump over him. She uh, was like, "I love you, but not that way. Like, I don't want you to be king." Yeah, so then Joan of Arc came in and helped him secure the crown against the English. And then Charlie VII was basically like, uh, 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 I don't know her. I don't know her. <laughs> and so, je know, je know, know her. <laughs> wow, Katie. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty I'm good so at French. i that Rosetta mm -hmm. Stone worked mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. So he basically just threw Joan of Arc under the bus, and now he's the undisputed king of France. So that's what's been going on. Yeah. So, um, you know, we said she was in the service of the Duchess of Lorraine from a young age. So let's discuss who is this Duchess of Lorraine and what would her life have been like working for her? Well, it's going to super depend on what we think young age means because the Duchess of Lorraine, a woman named Isabella, Duchess Isabella, 
her status changed a lot in a short time. And so she's from this powerful family and she married into this other powerful family. And um, fun fact, fun crossover fact, the Duchess, the Duchess's youngest daughter was this chick named Margaret of Anjou. <laughs> and any of you um, Wars of the Roses nerds are going to know that name. Yeah. So without going too far into their lives, the Duke of Anjou was the disputed king of Naples. So his wife, the Duchess Lorraine, was for a time considered the queen of Naples and went to Italy. So if Agnes was already working in her household during this time, she may have gone to Naples with her mistress. Um, granted, she probably would have been like 13 or 14. And we can't right. gather how young families would have sent their daughters to the service of the Duchess. But... You know, 13 seems a little bit young, but sometimes we are at 12. So who fucking knows? It's really fucking frustrating to try to figure out the details of her life without knowing when she joined the Duchess's household. It would help us understand her a lot better if we knew, or did she join the household after that was all over? So it's... It's really frustrating. If she joined the household when that was all over, she was 18. And I feel like you made this point earlier, Nathan, when we were talking that 18 isn't considered young back then. Mm -mm. That's like so, a full-fledged adult. We had eight-year-olds being wed to each other. That's 18. Right? You, you might as well be going to your retirement home in the fucking nunnery. <laughs> Yield! Holy retirement home. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I'm confused to try to decide when she actually joined the household because 13 yeah. does sound too young for a duchess with no previous training. And 18 sounds like a little young for knowing later how well she knew her courtly manners and everything. So I don't know. There's like, a chance. 13 just sounds too young to me. Like, I feel like maybe 13 wasn't too young to send your daughter into a household if you knew they were staying put in the same country. But knowing they were going into um, a disputed land might be too young to send a 13-year-old. Do you know what but, I mean? But Katie, she's got a vagina. She's got a vagina, so who cares what happens to her? Bye! <laughs> so either way, the household of Isabella of Lorraine would have been an excellent place to work and to make mm -hmm. connections. And one reason is because her husband, the Duke of Anjou, was a brother to the queen. His sister was Marie of Anjou, wife of the aforementioned Charles VII of France. Oh. And so this household was a powerful in its own right and also really fucking connected to the king and queen. So not too shabby for a first gig. No, no, that's a pretty good first job. Pretty good internship, if you ask me. Yes. So since we know so little of when and where her formative years took place, it's hard to say exactly what her education was, but we have some educated guesses. A lady-in-waiting to a super powerful duchess like that, we would have to assume that she could read. Mm -hmm. which seems like par for the course for us. But um, back then, not, it wasn't normal. Yeah. Not necessarily. Yeah, not mo most women didn't learn how to read. So, yay. She would have probably known 
an instrument, if not several musical instruments. Because the job of a lady in waiting, while well, one was to like, you know, help your your duchess or queen that you serve to like run their household, it was also to entertain them. Like if they had friends over and they were like all playing cards or something, they might like ask their lady in waiting to like play us a song, read us a poem, sing us a song, you know, so it was pretty often that they knew how to play some musical instrument. She also would have known etiquette, like as a second language. Etiquette was her second language. She would have known what fork to use. She would have known how deep you curtsy to a duke and how deep you curtsy to a prince. You know, the differences. It was a practical education, not necessarily an extensive one, if that makes sense. Yeah, but what we do want honey know about Agnes, she was objectively, without question, shut the fucking front door, no arguments, hottie with a body. She was super hot. Hot with three T's. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> like, total smokestone. Super fucking sexy. Like, think Elizabeth Taylor back when she did um, Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Yeah. Think Angelina Jolie, like, circa 2000, what, 6'5", 6'7", yeah. like that time frame. The beauty standard of the day, she 100% set the stand like set the bar as we've discussed uh the beauty standard of this time which was at roughly the same time as elizabeth woodville just like maybe 20 years prior it was pale 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 blonde hair blue eyes the surviving paintings of her seem to suggest that she had a fucking rack like she had <laughs> she got some titties and everybody Katie. Katie, you would have done really well. I would have done so well for myself in medieval time. I would have been beating off men with ye old fucking stick. I didn't mean that sounded wrong. (laughs) No, it sounded all so right. (laughs) You like you like your ladies pale and blonde? Bring it on. (laughs) Yeah, and with nice knockers. But we'll we'll talk about dim titties later. Um or dim tit later. But according to one historian, it is believed that her hotness was like well known around France, even before she made her way to the court of the king. So how shitty is it so that annoying. we know like zero about her education or upbringing, but we know like she got nice tits. Like, yeah, that's so fresh. We don't even know her birthday, but we know that she was beautiful. And that's just like... Bag of dicks, a bag of dicks. History <laughs> is a bag of dicks. Yes. Hundred percent. So most likely in 1442, the Queen of France is like, I need some new ladies in waiting. So it appears that she called up her sister-in-law, Isabella, and was like, I need some new ladies in waiting. I hear you got some great ladies serving you. Could you like part with one or two of them and the duchess isabella was like my girl agnes would be great at court and so that is how agnes made she was moving on up to the french court so we'll get into it in a minute as to why some people think this but some people believe that the duchess started grooming agnes at a very young age 
that she saw how hot she was and was like, huh, we could possibly teach this woman how to be a very positive influence on a powerful dick. So, <laughs> so maybe her sister-in-law was like, I am at my wit's end with my husband. and I need somebody to be like a positive distraction on him because he's not listening to me. And it's possible that the Duchess was like, say, I've got this one hot girl. I got this sexy chick. So let's know. make this happen. But we'll get into that later. So now she is 20 years old and she's heading to court to the court of the French king and queen to serve the queen, regardless of whatever happened in her life before or after this, you have to imagine being 20 years old and heading to serve like the most illustrious court in the fucking world. Can you imagine the butterflies in your tummy? I know it's like, this is the moment you've been training for, but it's like on crack because it's like the king. Yes. And once again, we don't know much about her or her feelings. Like, we don't know for sure about what her appointment would have done to her. So to gain more information on her new posting, let's look at Queen Marie of Anjou. Uh, Marie of Anjou was like the perfect queen of this time. She really didn't get involved in politics. She like turned a blind eye to her husband's many affairs. Many affairs. <laughs> So she was well-educated, well-mannered, pious. You know, she came from this super powerful family and brought some really strong connections. And most importantly, she was fertile. She had babies on babies on babies on babies. Like, legit. When Agnes hits this scene, Marie had already had a dozen babaroos. Babaroos. <laughs> No, she'd had 12 children and she wasn't done, but still like. And it, the funny thing is, is this is where Agnes's story begins. Like right? <laughs> everything up until now has been like this educated guess and speculation. But in 1422, I mean, 1442, when she joins the Queen of France's household, she's like 20 years old. And they're like, oh, it's the first time you. she's like actually documented. This is the first time we actually know what happened in her life. So basically. What had happened was the king took one look at her and went, a boing. <laughs> Direct quote. That's exactly what they wrote in the scrolls. What his penis did. <laughs> he immediately, like for him, at least we know, it was love at first sight. And this girl who should have been like born and died in obscurity, all of a sudden now is like this. Woman who's going to be famous for centuries and centuries afterwards. It's crazy. So pretty soon after joining his wife's household, the king became obsessed with Agnes. Yes. And so let's learn about Charles VII of France, shall we? We shall. (laughs) So as we mentioned previously, he's the son of our girl, Isabel of Bavaria, and her real batshit crazy mentally ill husband. He He was not all right. Charles VI. Uh, he thought he swallowed a piano. Oh my God. If you haven't listened to those episodes on Isabel of Bavaria, when you're done with this, go back. So you can have some context of like how Charles VII grew up with like a father who was unhinged. Yeah. And Charlie VII wasn't really a great king. 
He was just about boozing and fucking and partying. That's basically his MO. And he used the French treasury like as his own personal slush fund for his partying. Yeah. So on top of them being in and out of war for a hundred fucking years, France's finances aren't super great. No. Mm-mm. And they're not, no, no one's having a good time. So he was often described as lazy, but many historians think he probably had depression. Which, when we look at how, like, the mental issues his father had, that's probably pretty likely, you know, that he wasn't just this lazy, didn't give a fuck king. He probably had mental disorders of his own. And he liked to party and drink. And, like, he really just wasn't into kinging. And also, he loved the ladies. Oh my god. Yeah, that's an understatement. Fucking love them. One historian said he was basically had a traveling harem that went wherever he went. He'd had plenty of mistresses in his life, but none of them had ever really had an important place at court. And he certainly had one of he certainly had any of them sit with him at state events or anything. So no, he wasn't they were just all like side pieces. Like yeah, he's bankrolling them in this like harem of mistresses, giving them gifts and partying with them. So that's basically it. But it was most likely a one and done thing. Like he'd yeah. sleep with you, give you your gift, and you'd be on your way until Agnes hits the scene. So annoyingly, we don't know when their relationship started. When Aggie hits the court, she's 20. He's 39. She's like this unworldly, beautiful woman. And he is n- not. What? <laughs> he's not. No, like, I mean, he hasn't taken care of himself. He's a lot older, you know. So we have to imagine he wasn't like a stunner, but like, I guess also beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So let's not even go there. But we know that they were officially together by April 1443. And that's when Charles declared for the first time in his life that he was going to be a one woman man. Does he want a fucking award? Okay, good. Yeah, for right. <laughs> Round of applause. Cool. Uh, so he was ready to be faithful, and no, he did not mean to his wife. Uh, no, <laughs> at this obviously time, not. This woman was big old pregnant at this time, and she's with his 13th child. 13th? Oh, my a God. A baker's dozen. So he was like, a, a baker's, what did I call them over there? Babaroos? Babaroos? <laughs> a baker's babaroos. he was like uh no i'm gonna be faithful to uh, my mistress uh, this is like this absolute rando named agnes so everyone in the country's like um Uh, who um (laughs) beg your pardon but um what it was said that charles could not go an hour without agnes by his side regardless if that meant like in dinner in bed, talking to his counselors at state, like there was bear to be parted from her, which makes me think she must have sat in on so many important meetings, you know? Yeah, for sure. She had to have been like privy to all of that, like government business that he was talking about. Like, right. there's no way she would have known. 
And suddenly, like, Agnes is, like, this... She's the talk of the town. She's the talk of the fucking country. The king has, like, abandoned this perfectly wonderful queen and preggers for her 13... Her baker's babaroos. Her baker's babaroos! Uh, <laughs> so, of course, Agnes becomes immediately vilified. Yeah. She's called every fucking nasty name in the book. But what's she supposed to do? Is she, like, even in the place to say no to the king? Think about it. In history, she's gone down as a willing participant. And, Jesus God, I hope she was a willing participant. But... She can't, she can't turn him down. Like, what if she was like, no, and he was like, okay, then you lose your job of lady of lady and waiting to the queen. What if she's sending money back home? You know, like, it's, it's a fucked up dynamic. So that's why I like to think that she was in on it. Yeah, because I mean, he, I don't feel like he was... I mean, he could have gone on harassing her until she gave in, but we just really don't know the yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. Surprise, surprise. We don't know. But what we do know is how the queen felt about the fair. Well, no, we also don't know that either. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure she didn't love some of the stuff that was going on. But, dude, she had, like, 12 kids and a 13 baker's babaroo on the way. Mm-hmm. And they didn't need any more babaroos. And the king and the queen had never been a love match at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's not like she was, like, jealous of her husband or anything. Right. And actually, Agnes was said to have a really good influence on Charles from day one. I mean, he was happy with her. So he wasn't, like, partying and gambling with and whoring out anymore. Yeah. And a lot of people really do believe that the queen was actually whispering in Agnes's ear and being like, hey, maybe you can influence this guy to make some better decisions. Make better choices. (laughs) Yeah. So that ties in with earlier when we were talking about when she was at the court of the Duchess Isabella, that maybe she was being groomed to be the mistress of a powerful man. Maybe they didn't mean the king, but if she ended up in the service of the king or being the mistress of the king, at least she knew how to influence them correctly. And I, I personally like this idea that the queen was privy to it the whole time. I don't know if it's true, but I like it. So while there's not a whole lot that we know about their relationship, we know one honey about how Charles eldest son, Louis felt about it. He's fucking pissed. He did not care for it (laughs) one bit. Yeah. He's so pissed that Charles has insulted his mother in this way that he starts calling Agnes these nasty names. And, you know, he became the prominent voice and the loudest voice of that person using those bad names against her. We know they were together by April 1443. Because that's when King Charles gave her a, a, a fucking palace. It's called the Chateau de Lox. It was to be her personal residence. Kings have given their mistresses gifts before, but never a royal residence. Like this is a home for kings and queens and princesses and stuff. And let me just give it to my mistress, you know? This is a huge fucking deal. It was also significant. And that it is the palace that he had raised most of his children in. And it was the palace that Joan of Arc had recognized him. Like there's this, we'll do Joan of Arc one day, but there's like this whole story 
about how somebody was like brought her into the palace and was like, if you can point out the Dufon, then we'll believe you. And she did. And that took place in the palace that he gives her. So it has huge historical significance on top of, it was just, it was a big fucking deal is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And what we know is like, how do we think Agnes is feeling about this? I mean, we just, I couldn't just see myself feeling a little fish out of water. This is surely more than she had ever Right. I mean, obviously you accept it because what else are you going to do? But fish out of water. That's perfect. Just seeing yourself being like, thanks. I'll go decorate this palace now. Cool. Yeah, I mean, before this, mistresses got gifts, but like a royal residence? I mean, I wonder, this this was a national scandal, and how do you think she felt about it? Like, oh, I'm a slut, so let me just go cry about it in my own fucking palace. Right? Absolutely. I believe it was soon after this that Agnes became pregnant with their first child. And so that's in the summer of 1444 their first child was born a daughter named marie she's named after the queen and the queen is also made her godmother some people say this was meant to be a slap in the face to the queen of like haha i'm sleeping with this woman and i'm naming our bastard after you but marie actually queen marie actually took her duties as godmother over the this child very seriously so i don't know i that's part of me that wants to think that like uh the queen was okay with this relationship yeah so let's talk about that influence because i feel like the good things she influenced get swept under the table people would rather talk about her boob yeah uh then then that she actually ran the show and did a lot of good shit with the king yes First of all, his depression or quote-unquote laziness seemed to be cured. So he's now hopping out of bed, and he's energized about to run the fucking country. And Charles apparently looked at his online bank account and was like, oh, fuck. I'm broke. He might have overdressed. (laughs) Yeah. So he starts appointing these people that knew how to balance a budget and how to get the treasury back in order. So things are on the up and up. Yeah. And while, of course, no one would ever give Agnes direct influence, I don't think it's a coincidence that, like, as soon as he took up with her, he started taking responsibility and being a king. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I think he's in love for the first time in his life. He's been in a loveless marriage partnership because they got married when they were like, like, they got betrothed when they were like two or three. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? And so he has always been in loveless relationships and now he's in actual love. And I don't know about you, but that can really put a pep in someone's step, you know? Yeah. And I think after a few months, Agnes was being a little more confident with her influence over him. Absolutely. You know, she gained a lot more. So soon after the birth of their daughter, Agnes was given her title, so she is now the official royal mistress. Like, no longer just a lady in waiting to his wife, who just also happened to be sleeping with um, and giving lots of gifts to. Um, She got this title because all this time leading up to now, she still had to pretend to be serving the queen. 
Otherwise, there's really no reason for her to be How there. awkward. Um, How awkward is yeah. that? This whole time, even though everyone knows she's sleeping with the king, she's still having to, like, you know, do the queen's hair. <laughs> Pretend yeah. like everything's fine. Yeah, it's so weird. But now she's, like, the official mistress. And with that title comes lands, income, a place at the court, and from then on, it was commonplace in French courts to be like, hmm, his king had his wife, and he also had his royal mistress, who was on the side. That was a, an official title. Yeah. So this is when that really happened. And I'm not sure that every single French king had a mistress, but most did. Except for, you know, that last one, Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette's <laughs> husband didn't, and everybody thought he was gay because of it. Yep. <laughs> so a lot of people say she's the first mustres en Um Great pronunciation there, I know. But mm-hmm. that title actually wasn't created for another hundred years. So I guess she was the precursor for the mistress en but that's not what she was called at the time. Yeah, she was even given a pa- uh, papal dispensation from the king being like, you're forgiven for the sins of being an adulterous whore and having children. I'm a pope. You, uh, <laughs> you can fuck the king. It's fine. <laughs> so soon after that, she gets her promotion and Charles starts having Agnes sit in with him for like state dinners, which regardless of how we think the queen felt, she couldn't have liked this because she's probably thinking, I don't care who the fuck you are, but my family's rich and powerful and I've given you a million children. So I should be, I should be sitting at the front table. And then everyone at court is gossiping about how much the King is spending on Agnes's wardrobe. So this was a big point of contention. And also let's not get it twisted. Agnes spent buku on her clothes. But she couldn't have done it if the king wouldn't have given her a budget for her clothes. So that's another fucked up thing that, like, they can't just be like, the king is spinning recklessly. They have to be like, the woman is spinning recklessly. And it's like, shoot, where do you think she's got the money? So back then, you couldn't wear, like, certain colors unless you were royalty. And um, the clothes she was wearing we're supposed to be reserved for royalty. And she's this, she's this nobody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Agnes finds out that people are whispering about her wearing these fancy fucking dresses. So what does she do? She dresses five times fancier. She's like, oh, they they didn't like that gown with like the fur lining I wore the other day. Um, Please order me seven more of those. Like, fuck you guys. So there aren't a whole lot of ways that a woman in her station at this time could express themselves. Like she didn't have an official correspondence. So for Agnes specifically, we have to look at her clothes as a way of, you know, like Madonna, express yourself. That's how she set herself apart. Yeah. So let's talk about this boob thing. Let's just, let's just get straight. Let's just get that boob out there in the open. So when we put a hint out, everybody was like, titty, it's got to be Agnes. Agnes. She had the favorite titty that she had hanging out. And this is what she's like most famous for. 
So the story goes that she had such amazing tits and she fucking knew it. And so <laughs> she would have her cut so low that she could easily just like pop a nipple out. Oh. But was that really true? I mean, she had great booze, but did she actually walk around with them on display? Okay, so if she did, that was a baller fucking move, right? Yeah. That was a power play. I wish I didn't have to dash everyone's dreams like this, but sadly... There's very little evidence to support that she ever walked around with a tit out. I know. Yeah. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> the only document, the only documentation that specifically said that <clears throat> that's hey, Agnes walks around with her titties was this guy named Chastillion, and he was a chronicler. And uh, guess who his best friend was? Um, the the king's son that hated Agnes. Yeah. In fact, it's thought that the Dauphin had even dictated word for word to Chastillion what to write. So he wrote that Agnes was the producer and inventor of inappropriate styles and that if the French women of court followed her fashion, that we'd all be going to hell in a fucking handbasket. <laughs> exact quote, actually. Uh, <laughs> what? I, in my personal opinion, thinks this means is that Agnes was dressing inappropriately in the Dauphin's eyes because she was not high born enough to be wearing all these fancy dresses. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe she did have a titty out. I would love if that was true, but eh. And some things I've read is that she... She was the first person to wear off-the-shoulder attire, which I love, a cold shoulder. So if I have Agnes to thank for that, I'm happy for that. So, like, maybe that's what they meant by, like, super inappropriate clothing. Like, they showed their shoulders. It's just another thing that we just don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that Louis and Chastillion are just writing a bit of an over-exaggeration to all the European courts that this, like, beautiful temptress is just walking around with her titties hanging out. But also, maybe she did ever... I, we just don't know. However, there is definitely one thing that she wore that was even more scandalous than having her tits hang out. Um, diamonds. Oh, Diamonds. Yeah. So, well, I mean, everybody's like, why, why would that be a big deal? But in that time, diamonds were super rare. In fact, 200 years prior to this, King Louis IX had banned diamonds and only the king could wear them. So when Agnes showed up to court one day with her low-cut dress and a huge gold necklace with a cut diamond in it, it was a much bigger it, deal than just having it. It was such a Yeah. Having your titty out would hold no candle. To wearing an, a cut diamond. So one, back then, diamonds are super rare. You have to go to, oh, I feel like I read where, but I don't remember, like maybe India to get them, which wasn't like a super easy trip at the time. And then like, secondly, cut diamonds were, that was not a normal practice back then. Yes, yeah, it makes them look more beautiful, so it must have cost so, so, so much more. Yeah, it's a scandal. Like, that is a huge scandal. And it's around this time when the Prince Louis, who was already on the brink of declaring civil war on his father, 
lost his fucking shit. So there are two stories. We don't know which one is true. We don't know if either are true. Maybe both are true. We just don't know. But one is that Louis saw Agnes walking around with the diamond and he just uh, punched her in the fucking face. Oh, wow. And the other is that Louis caught her in bed with her dad and he chased her out of the palace like naked with a sword. All right. Both are bad. But again, we don't know if either of them are true. We also don't know if either of them are not true. But I think it sets your expectation for what their relationship was like. So, like, this at least sets the story for, like, what their relationship was like. But regardless, around this time, Louis was banished from court. Yeah, and this made it a lot better for Agnes, except for, you know, everyone blamed this divide between the royal family on her. Which, of course, they did, because they couldn't blame the king. And father and son have been fighting since long before I know, Agnes that's so ever hit fucked the scene. Up that they're like, oh, the king of the dolphin like aren't speaking anymore because of the mistress. And it's like they were hardly speaking ever. Yeah, right. So over the next few years, Charles and Agnes had two more daughters. They had already had Marie and then they had Charlotte and Jean. So like bag of dicks history, we just don't know their birth dates because vagina. <laughs> and uh But Charlotte was, in particular, was a favorite at court. And even Queen Marie doted on her. So it's very interesting family dynamic, but it's working for everyone. So So at the time, Agnes posed for a portrait posing as the Virgin Mary nursing Jesus. And if you've ever seen anything depicting Agnes Sorel, this is the image that you've seen. And it was a scandal, to say the least. It's interesting for a couple of points. One, because back then, you didn't necessarily always have a portrait done of yourself that actually reflected what you looked like. Because they were like, why would anybody ever want to know what I looked like? Because they didn't know how history worked yet, I guess. Um, But secondly... It was scandal, 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 because I'm sorry, you're having the king's whore pose as the Virgin Mary? Oh, what? (laughs) Excuse me. I mean, it did make sense, though, because at this time, you know, the most beautiful women of the time would say that their outward beauty reflected that they were some sort of spiritual beauty as well. It was an accepted belief back then that if you were beautiful on the outside, it meant God thought you were beautiful on the inside and vice versa. So it was a very paradoxical, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. So some people believe her having her tit out in this portrait backs up that she did have a favorite tit that she just liked Mm. to pop out. But the nursing virgin was actually a very common theme in paintings in this time. So maybe it's just indicating that she loved her boobies out or maybe it was just that was what was in Can we also talk about all these virgin nursing portraits of the time? They're like perfectly round tits or like up on their clavicle. Like, that's not... Yeah, it doesn't make These sense. were all painted by monks, who I don't think necessarily knew 
where the trees lived, especially after giving birth. Okay, but not everything she did at this time was scandalous. Everyone talks about like her boobs and her scandalous fashions and the diamonds. The diamonds and the titties is what got all the press. <laughs> but people don't talk about that like she was like she was a humanitarian if you really want to like get down and put it in like modern day terms. We already talked about how like she brought the king out of his funk, so obviously that was good for France. France was now bouncing back financially and they had like all these, like they saw all these residual positives coming up from them. Like, like their judicial system was bouncing back. They were having like all these improvements to like surprise, surprise having a King who was interested in being a King all of a sudden can be good for a country. So that's pretty awesome, you know? Yeah. But also, she was spending a lot of the income that she got giving to charity. That was, like, what queens were supposed to do. And even though she wasn't a queen, she still, like, took up that role. She, was spend- she wasn't just spending all her money on diamonds and boobalicious dresses. She was giving to churches. She was giving to orphanages. She was... You, you know, like she, she's not, she's painted as like this. Um, I've read of her being called the first quote unquote first bimbo. And that's very unfair. That's very unfair because she definitely dedicated a lot of her interest to charitable, charitable events, you know? Yeah. And she was the first Royal mistress of the time to show that, you know, this role of mistress could be more than just the side chick that the King sleeps with. I mean, we look at like later on, Madame de Pompadour and Diane de Poitiers. So Agnes was the one that, yeah, she walked so they could walk basically. She she had the shoes, they filled the (laughs) shoes. So like it's it was really the first time that powerful woman looked at one of the king's mistresses in the French court and was like, oh, she actually has some power over the king. Exactly. You know? So let's discuss her life thus far. We know she's beautiful. Maybe the most beautiful woman in the world. And it seems like she's politically savvy. A mistress had never used their place at court to get like a king to like change his entire aesthetic, his entire goals of being a king before. So she's made him a better king. She's a trendsetter. Maybe she's got a titty out. Maybe she's got some diamonds on. Maybe, oh, I hope she has some diamond earrings on her nipples. Oh, she could be like Janet, Mm -hmm. Janet Jackson and Mm -hmm. have like the little Mm -hmm. rhinestone on her nipples. Agnes, if you're nasty. So for the most part, I mean, even though she's scandalous with her titties and her diamonds, no one's really got a problem with her. She's had good influence on the king. Some say even more powerful and more influential than Joan of Arc. So, I mean, she's only got one enemy, and that's just so happens to be the fucking Dauphin, Louis. What a pen oh. in that. So it's 1449, and Agnes is about 27, and preggers for the fourth time, and Charles had started a campaign against the English. Oh. Remember how he hadn't really gotten shit done about being king until Agnes hit the scene? Well, 
it's thought that she also tried to convince him to get the English rule out of France entirely. At this time, England owned not as much as they had before the Hundred Years' War, but I mean, they still had Normandy and Calais and stuff like that. At one point, big pregnant Aggie goes and visits him in Normandy in February. Why she decided to do this? I I don't understand. Why? Nathan, why? If she's seven months pregnant, why is she like, it's the Middle Ages. What could go wrong? I think, honestly, it's Charles was probably being a titty baby. Ha 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 ha. Titty, titty, baby. Titty, baby. Oh, my God. I think he, yeah. That's the only reason I could think that she would, like, pick up and go see him is that he was being needy because... It's the Middle Ages. It's in February, which is famously not known for its weather. We're in Austin right now, famously a warm city. It's like nine degrees. Like, I, I just don't, I, I wish she had not. Yeah. So she arrives in Normandy and gets really sick. So quick side note, medicine in the 1400s is horrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, and we don't know a lot about sanitation. <laughs> and <laughs> you get ye old round worms very commonly. Uh, and how did they happen to treat round worms back then before antibiotics? Mercury. mercury. Like not not like Freddie no. Mercury, not of the Queen's persuasion, like the, the actual, actual chemical compounds. Even for yeah, pregnant so, women, I mean, they didn't give them much. But it's still not great. So it's believed that not long after her arrival into like Charles's camp, she's being treated for these ringworms with small doses of mercury because history is not glamorous. Mm-hmm. So she's been there about a week and she starts getting really sick, like not just sick, like super really sick. sick. Super yeah. super. So she's getting like sick all over the place, super dehydrated, and Charles doesn't know what the fuck to do. We really don't have any details because we have to assume that he's at his wits fucking end because he's a big old titty baby. Oh, and I just her. imagine, poor baby Charles. Yeah. I just imagine I'm like pulling his hair out. Like, what do I do? Like, the love of my life is sick right in front of me. And and she's being pregnant. And guess what? She goes into labor. Oh. Um, very very early and she gives uh, birth to a very sick and premature daughter so as far as we know there was no name given to her but after that both Agnes and the baby died on February 9th of 1450 she was only like 27 or 28 the baby it's so frustrating that she lived this life and we only know of about like 7 years of it do you know what I mean mm-hmm it is frustrating. So, but what we do know is that the king was a fucking wreck. I mean, this is this this was the only woman he'd ever been in love with. And even though he did have a side chick, he ha- Agnes's cousin was actually like in her in her employ. And as soon as Agnes has died, he Agnes died, he picked up with her cousin, so he'd like already been eyeballing her. But still, this is the first woman he had ever been faithful to. This is the first woman he loved. It's 
It's very sad. So let's talk about it. Though Agnes's death was gone down as dysentery, I don't know what they called it back then. It was just like the sickness or whatever. Uh, Charles believed most of his life that Agnes was murdered. Mm, Maybe his son did it. (laughs) So after her death, Charles made her a duchess. Because he wanted to give her this big grand funeral and he could only do those for people, that for people that were like duchess or higher. So he made her a duchess, gave her this big like to-do funeral. It was like a state event. And yeah, the official cause of death was dysentery. Until 2005. So after her body or her death and her body was moved a couple of times. So after she died, body was moved. Firstly, was when Louis became king and he had moved her because he was like, ugh, she was buried at a place uh, too fancy for us. She was a whore. (laughs) (laughs) So then after that, the French Revolution, they dug her up and they looted all of her jewels. So she may have been tussled around a little bit. But then in 2005, the scientist had like heard that like maybe there was some foul play there. So they dug her up and they were like, girl, what happened to you? And they dug her up 555 years after her death and they were able to test her remains. And they determined that she was killed by mercury poisoning. Yeah, I mean, we know that she used mercury to treat the, the worms, but like they did use it in cosmetics too. They found 500% more mercury in like the testing of her hair follicles than either of those things combined would have ever been in her system. Agnes was probably murdered. Nathan, who do you think murdered her? It had to have been the Dauphin. Some people think maybe the queen, and I'm like, what? They already had a good relationship. There's no point. I just, I just don't, I just don't buy it. It had to have been Louis, right? Yeah, it was Louis. So let's talk about her legacy. Oh, uh, we, like we said earlier, later historians would call her like the first like bimbo. Fuck off, dude. Just because she had a great rack and she was gorgeous doesn't make right. her a bimbo. And she has gone down in history. She set a precedent for women to become powerful at court at a way that had never been a possibility before so she don't give a damn about her bad reputation let's raise a drink to agnes yes Yes. (laughs) love you bitches So thanks for listening. If there's something you want to hear, just like hit us up. You can email us at queenshistorypodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter. We're at queens underscore podcast. We're on SoundCloud and Stitcher. And follow us on iTunes at Queens Podcast. All one word. All smushed up. Queens Podcast. Um, Follow us on Facebook. Our intro music is by Kay Sparks featuring Beyond Belief. Thanks for letting us use your song, guys. Thanks, guys, for listening. Cheers. Bye, girl. Clink, clink. <laughs> Mwah.